Ready? Our evening began in Peter Seychelles' comfortable study in his New York townhouse. Hello there, everybody. My name is Jim Shear, and welcome to the Brouhaha, the official, unofficial Beastie Boys podcast. And I guess we can call this the Beastie Boys book special. I can finally talk about the book. I've been a good boy. I read the book back in June. And I haven't said anything for four months. I said a little bit. My my initial review for the book was broad strokes with a narrow brush. But now I can officially talk about it. But first, let me cue up some music. Very appropriate music. Today's episode is coming at you in threes. I will start off with a review of the live and direct Beastie Boys book event. And I'm doing that because I'm sure a lot of you can't attend these events. They're only being held in a a small handful of cities, two in New York, two in L.A., one in San Francisco, and I think two in London. Although I don't don't know if there's two live events in London, maybe. I, I know there's a book signing over there. But long story short, they're not hitting every city. So some of you may be wondering, well, what happened? What happened at this live event? And you can kind of piece things together if you follow the trail on social media. So I'm going to give you a review of the book event. I'm going to play you an interview that I conducted with author and music journalist Alan Light last week. We're weaving in and out of time And then I will end the episode by giving you my take on the Beastie Boys book. And do you see the the method in my madness? I'm doing the book event first because many of you are probably curious about that. And then at that point in the proceedings, you can pause the podcast. And I don't think me and Alan spoil too much, but we do talk about the book. And then after that, You're going to want to stop the podcast because there would be spoiler alerts after that. So it it may take you a few weeks to listen to this podcast, but I I don't want to come out of the gate spoiling things. So first, let's talk about Beastie Boys' book, Live and Direct. They played two shows in New York City. I did want to go to both, but unfortunately, I could only go to the second event in Brooklyn. But after attending the second event, I thought, well, I kind of only needed one of these because it, it, it does follow a framework. But let's start from the beginning. You walk in the door and there is a, a big merch station in the middle. And the biggest complaint, maybe the only complaint of the Beastie Boys book events held in New York City, man, that merch line was too long. So if they had to do it over, I think they should have two merch booths. 
because they had a merch booth and then a little further down the hall there was a Sonos display where you got this nice little handout. By the way, that that Beastie Boys Sonos logo, that's pretty sweet. And then the little handout had all the um the samples from Paul's boutique. And then there was another hallway, so they should have utilized that for a, another merch station. So I thought, you know what? I'm not a big merch guy, by the way. Uh, when the Beastie Boys did their thing back in the day, I rarely, if ever, bought a shirt at a tour. I don't know if I ever bought a, short, a shirt at a, a Beastie Boys tour. But I thought, you know what? It's probably been a good 10 years since I ever waited in a Beastie Boys merch line. So I'm going to do it and I'm going to buy something. So I was looking at the rack. There was a $140 John Starks mixtape hoodie where he's giving the middle finger. And I thought, I am not dropping $140 on a hoodie. And then, you know, my my sweet spot for the Beastie Boys is check your head in ill communication. So there was a a long sleeve ill communication shirt. And there was a long sleeve check your head shirt. Curiously... The ill-communication long-sleeve shirt was $55. The check-your-head shirt was $35. And it had, it had writing on the sleeves. And I'm not a huge fan of graphics on the sleeve. When I was in high school, yes. As a 40-year-old man, no. And I thought, I love check-your-head. I love the picture. Yeah, I'm going to pass on that. And then, then I looked around... Uh, there was a couple other designs, but the one that I really liked was Samson. That's MCA's dog, the one you see on the the cover of some old bullshit. He was on a shirt with some cool graphics that they did with the you know the Polywalk Stew era Beastie Boys font. There was a white one and a yellow one. They were forty five dollars a piece, and I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy that yellow some old bullshit shirt. So I wait in the line. Now, the first thing I did when I got in the venue was wait in the merch line because I heard it was really long. And I was I was probably one of the, the first 50 people in the venue. So I said, yes, I want that yellow shirt with the dog on it. And they said, we've got none left. They sold out last night. We've got like a small, one small. That's all we have. And I thought, oh, man. And then they had these Beastie Boys lapel pins. There were four different Beastie Boy logos in gold. And you know the pins I'm talking about. You know, the the ones that you would put on a tie or a sports coat. And I thought, all right, I'll I'll take that one. And I put down 20 for my four golden Beastie Boys pins. So after I got my merch, uh, I wanted to check out the Beastie Boys exhibit. Now, if you're curious about the exhibit, four plastic cases, I'd say about maybe a couple feet wide by maybe six feet long, filled with Beastie Boy tchotchkes and not just tchotchkes. I mean, Ad-Rock's 808 drum machine is in one of these display cases. But the display cases are broken up into eras. There's the early years. There's the license to ill through Paul's Boutique exhibit case there's check your head through ill communication i thought it was cool that the bullshit mike was in the check your head case and i i pulled over my friend who i who i brought to the event and i said see that microphone right there that microphone 
recorded my favorite song of all time. That's pretty cool. And then the fourth display bin was Hello Nasty to Present, and Ad-Rock's guitar, the one he played at Bonnaroo, the Beastie Boys' last gig, that was in the case. There was a handwritten note from Madonna, um, you know, some old school flyers, uh, the Def Jam, what do they call those, those satin jackets, that was in there. Uh, Beastie Boys' action figures. It was, it was, you know what? Prof D, my good friend, rest in peace, who is probably one of the top three Beastie Boys collectors in the world. I appreciated the, the exhibit at King's Theater in Brooklyn that night, but it was almost like looking at Prof D's collection because he had a lot of the stuff that was in the display cases, like the old, uh, I think it's the, the Cookie Puss 12-inch. Is it, It's the red one where they're... The blue silhouettes and they're skipping across the street. He had that. He had a lot of the stuff, like the patches, and he had the action figures. So it, it reminded me of Prof D, and that's a good thing. So after I checked out the exhibit in the, the Sono station and the, the merch section, I took my seat at King's Theater. Once again, I missed the first night, which was held at a smaller venue in Manhattan, probably only a few blocks away from Times Square, called Town Hall. And from what I heard from the night before, it wasn't too dissimilar from what I got on night two. So basically, the Beastie Boys Live book event is a live reading of their book in a condensed manner. I would say they took the stage around 8.30 to a standing ovation. Let me tell you, just to see Mike D and Ad-Rock on a stage again, it just felt so good. It felt so right. And you're damn right they got a standing ovation. So the the show starts with Mike and Adam on stage. There's, There's two screens and they're not huge stadium jumbotron screens. I would say maybe like 8x8, eight 9x9. Eight, nine nine. There's two of those in the center of the stage. And if you're looking directly at the stage, to the left is Mixmaster Mike's setup with his MMM Circle logo. If you're familiar with Mixmaster Mike, you know what his logo looks like. And then throughout the evening... You know, the Beastie Boys would put a table in front of one of those screens and they would show a a cafe in the background and pictures from the the various Beastie Boys eras and videos throughout the years would play on the video screens. And as they alluded to, even the night before, there's a red light on stage. So when the Beastie Boys are running too long, then the red light will flash and that cues them in that they need to speed things up. So I, I wrote some notes as the event was going on, and here goes. So like I said, if you have finished the book, that's basically what the live event is about. Uh, there was no fan Q&A. There was no celebrity moderator as advertised on the flyer. On stage, you see Mixmaster Mike, Mike D, and Ad-Rock. And I would say the show runs about... Eh, two hours and 15 to 20 minutes. And I'm sure if, if they go a little long on sections, it could maybe stretch out to two and a half hours. But they got that red light. 
Now, before I start, before I begin my notes, if you haven't read the book yet, there could be some spoilers here. So if you don't want to be spoiled, please pause the podcast and come back to it at a later date. They open up with the ring story. And if you've read the book, you know that the ring story is one of the best stories in the entire book. What was it, like a 15-year prank? I got to give it up to MCA. The, uh, the dedication to carry on a prank that long. And it's kind of sweet because the prank ended because MCA sensed that it was stressing Ad-Rock out. And my question is, the dude with the, the chiclet teeth and the long arms, what does he think of this story? Is he, um, is he impressed that he's shouted out by the Beastie Boys? Or is he insulted? I guess that's a question for him. And when I was watching the event, I thought, would this be better if I didn't read the book? Because every story I heard over the course of the night was a story that I had read about in the book. But conversely, what if I didn't read the book, like most people in attendance, and the Beastie Boys tell stories from the book for two and a half hours, is it the same reading the book? Or have things been spoiled? But when you boil things down, would you rather hear these stories from the mouth of the Beastie Boys or the pen of the Beastie Boys? It's a, you know, it's a win-win either way. Uh, the Beastie Boys talk about, well, Mike D actually talks about the acronym Boys Entering Anarchistic. Wait, did I say that right? Anar- anarchistic <laughs> states towards internal excellence. And he joked that the name was redundant because the B and Beastie takes care of the boys. So why would you call yourself Boys Boys? And the, the funniest the funniest moments during the book event was when Mike and Adam would do the voices of Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin. Because they would crack up most of the time when they were attempting to do these voices. And I wonder what Russell and Rick think of these impressions. Uh, the Beastie Boys talk about making Cookie Puss, which was them making fun of Malcolm McLaren's Buffalo Gals. And Ad-Rock said, the reason we made fun of it is because we loved it. And I, I loved that he fessed up that him and Mike and Adam were New York kids. So they couldn't admit that anything was cool. And then Ad-Rock was saying, yeah, you know, like pizza. Yeah, you know, that's, that's okay. And then they showed a video of Ad-Rock af- asking Africa Bambata about Cookie Puss on a, a New York City, I don't know if it was a cable access show or a show that was on network TV, but, you know, only played in the New York City area. And that was hilarious. And my favorite moments of this event was when they were showing these video clips because it almost played out like a live documentary. And then part of me was thinking, man, yeah, I, I think we're due for a Beastie Boys documentary just because there's so much footage and they've met so many people and they've, they've spanned so many different musical movements and eras where, you know, a, a Beastie documentary would be fascinating, and some of my favorite little video snippets of the evening was Mike and Adam 
making fun of Ad-Rock in the movie Lost Angels when a, <laughs> a car crashes into a swimming pool. Uh, of course, the Africa Bambata clip was fun. The Beastie Boys on Soul Train. And my favorite video snippet came at, well, it's not a snippet. It was actually a, you know, a two or three minute clip was um, there was a video montage of MCA put behind Stand Together. And that was the one moment during the night where I did get choked up because it was it was edited together perfectly. Every funny and serious and awesome moment that MCA ever did on video was captured in this Stand Together montage. And if you know, if you work your way around the internet, you can find some people who recorded the montage, and that was just perfectly done. So let me go through some of these notes. Because like I said, the Beastie Boys, they're, they're playing off a script. It's a loose script. So if you go on a different night, maybe some of the jokes differ slightly. Uh, they were talking about hooking up with Russell Simmons. And they said he was the biggest manager in rap music. And then I forget if it was Mike or Adam. He said, well, he was the only manager in rap music. Uh, Ad Rock Fest Up, that rock hard is a terrible song. Um, there's a, a part in the show where Mike is dressed like a painter, painting a picture of himself naked in the asphalt-paved bedroom where he could get up from the bathtub and grab something from the refrigerator. All of that will make sense when you read the book. And once again, if you're still listening, I warned you that things could get spoiled. Um, there was a, a funny reoccurring gag throughout the night where Mixmaster Mike would scratch in a little Mike D sample, like, Mike D! Mike D! And then Ad-Rock would go up to Mixmaster Mike's turntable and he said, well, what about, what about my intro? Don't I get an intro? And then at the end of the night, Mixmaster Mike scratches Ad-Rock. He gets a, you know, a little shout-out from Mixmaster Mike. One of my favorite quotes of the night was when, well, the thing is, let me back up a second. You guys should know that Mike D is very excitable. And him and Ad-Rock played off each other perfectly because whenever Mike would get too excited, Ad-Rock would zing him back down to earth. And there was a, a part in the show where Ad-Rock was sort of miming something and Mike D was doing similar hand motions as Ad-Rock and then Adam turns around and says, Mike, nobody needs a double mime. I mean, they've been at it for years. They've been doing this for a long time. So just the way they, they played off each other was fun to see. Um, when they were talking about Aerosmith and Run DMC recording Walk This Way and performing Walk This Way, and, I, and I'll, I'll get more into that when I talk about the book, um, they, they said that Run DMC thought Steven Tyler was an ancient court jester. <laughs> and what else oh this this was interesting and, and it's in the book but post license to ill mca was so fed up he went to russell and he said that he quit the beastie boys and when ad-rock was on stage telling the story he said well mca never told us so we didn't know that for a short time we weren't a band anymore and the way he delivered it was very funny and then the, um, the show ends 
with the opening of the book with Mike and Adam saying that MCA is a wild card. And then Mixmaster Mike joins Mike and Adam. They take a bow. The Beastie Boys get another standing ovation, and they are off the stage. Now, I was ready because I am an instigator. I was ready to get a a whole theater-wide chant saying, Just one song. Just one song. But the way the evening was set up, it, it, it wasn't right for just one song. Because the Beastie Boys were on lav mic, so they didn't even have handheld mics. But I'm hoping, and maybe it'll never happen, but I'm hoping maybe this experience inspires the Beastie Boys to do more things like this and maybe eventually perform live again in, in some type of capacity. This is definitely a step in the right direction. Hey, I was in a Beastie Boys merch line. That hasn't happened in 10 years. I have a ticket stub that says Beastie Boys. That hasn't happened in a while. So it just felt good being in a room with fellow Beastie Boys fans watching Mixmaster Mike, Ad-Rock, and Mike D. So there's the book event. If you work your way around the internet and social media, you can kind of piece it together and you get a good feel of what went down in New York City this week and what will go down in L.A. next week. All right, so we are going to take a break. That was kind of a long review. That might be longer than my book review. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to play you my interview that I did with Alan Light last week. They grew up in New York City where they soon became bored with high school and they dropped out to pursue the hardcore punk rock scene. Following their uh, flirtation with punk, they became involved with the emerging rap scene and their debut album, License to Ill, has been certified as the fastest selling debut in the history of their label. Now, are these rappers run DMC, the Beastie Boys, or the Fat Boys? We'll find out when we come back for more Golden Grace. The Joining me on the brouhaha right now, a man who wrote a Beastie Boys book, but not the Beastie Boys book, Mr. Alan Light. Hey, Jim. Thank you for making this happen. Oh, I'm happy to do it. And yeah, I guess I have to uh, concede they now get the the Z Beastie Boys book (laughs) uh, for their title, so I gotta step back. If it makes you feel any better, to me... Yours was the Beastie Boy book until they released their book. Well, I'll I'll take that. That's that it'll, <laughs> if it stands for you know whatever that is, eight or ten years, I'll I'll, I'll call it a win. <laughs> but we can finally talk about the yeah. Beastie Boys book. So, what did you think? Um, well, I like. I mean, there's a lot in it that I liked, um, and but it's funny. A lot of what I liked was a lot of sort of smaller things or or things on the side um the things that they've maybe mentioned in interviews where you get a line or two and here they could kind of stretch out and do a couple of pages to tell that story um and sometimes those are really sort of ancillary things like you know it's silly but there's always been the mention of you know dave parsons from rat cage records as the guy who signed them first who put out Polly Walks 2 and then who sort of, you know, 
usually you get a line like, then he became a Charlie Chaplin impersonator, and then it's on to something else. <laughs> to get a couple of pages of the story of Dave Parsons' Charlie Chaplin impersonation career was kind of great. Not that it has anything to do with anything, but it's a really good story. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's funny. They Obviously, the book doesn't really deal a lot with Adam's passing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, it's... You know, it's sort of mentioned at the end, it's sort of mentioned. They don't really, other than saying, and then Adam got sick, so we couldn't do right. whatever. Um, you know, which is disappointing just in that you want to know what it was for them to go through this. But what was interesting to me was the way throughout that they talk about Yauk as this kind of team captain. Mm-hmm. You know, that he was the guy who really pointed to the next thing they should do, you know, was always there and on time and, like, quarterbacking the efforts and leading the charge. And I don't, you know, I don't know that I've ever thought about that or really heard them articulate that in that same way. Um, that's the thing that really jumped out because, you know, we always think of them as that the, they each kind of had their lane. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that was so – the reason they were able to keep going was they each had – things they were responsible for, and there was really, you know, a sense that everybody was kind of empowered in this group. There wasn't a a leader, and it's not that they're saying that he was, but I I don't know that I ever thought about him as sort of this creative, uh, you know, sort of force Mm -hmm. for keeping them going. And and in some ways, that's the thing I think that's going to stick with me the most um, in terms of, you know, does the book make me think about them and their career any different i feel like that's probably the the biggest point i'm going to take from it and i think the point that highlights that the most was when he went into the studio and totally switched around too many rappers like he didn't even he didn't even run it by mike and adam he just went in the studio and changed it and adam even writes well that frustrated me but then he admits in the end mca was always right yeah, this thing of, like, they'd kind of talk about something, and then he would just go in and he would have done it. Um, and certainly seeing the other guys and the way that they work, which is, you know, as we know, sort of in indirect and stumbling through a piece at a time and, like, right. eventually getting there. Um, yeah, it makes sense that there was somebody who would kind of take the wheel that way. Um, but I think that's, uh, you know, that, that, that jumped out at me. Uh, a lot and says, you know, and says a lot. Now, was there anything missing for you after you read the book? You know, I think inevitably there's part of me that says this book really should have just been about the early years. You know, this book should have just been about the 80s, Um, which in a way was how I felt when I wrote, when I did the Skills to Pay the Bills book, part of me felt like the really good part of this story is the is the first part of it because there's this incredible community uh you know there's there's all the talking about New York there's all the talking about this well you know this set of friends that spanned you know the punk rock kids mm-hmm. and the hip hop kids and the artists and the you know it's just it's that stuff is so rich and you see over time the way that just everything you know, everything narrows. And by the end, it's, it's the three of them. And that's, you know, and that's it. There's not even another producer. There's not even another, there's, you know, there's, there's Nick's master Mike and there's Mario, there's people filling stuff in, but definitely as sort of employees, you know? And so there's in a way, 
it can't help but run out of steam a little bit. Like the story gets more insular as it goes on, which was, you know, what happened. Um, but in some ways, it's, you, you know, at a certain point, you kind of feel the letdown of, okay, the story was so great, and it just gets, you know, there's just less and less to talk about. See, because for um, me, I jumped on at Check Your Head, and yeah. that's the stuff that fascinates me the most. Yeah. Because I've heard the backstory so much about them growing up in New York City and listening to all this different type of music. So as I was reading the book, I looked at the side of it and I thought, wow, a whole giant chunk is done and we're still unlicensed to ill. Right. Yeah, I mean, I thought the Check Your Head stuff was pretty good. I, You know, they completely blow off ill communication, um, which is, you know, I, I remember in talking to them, about it, that they sort of like felt like, yeah, that was kind of check your head part two. Like, right. there's not that much to say about it, mm-hmm. but that really is like there's this three page kind of fake review right. of communication, <laughs> and that's a, that's kind of it. Um, and you know, maybe there's not that much to say, but in terms of the career, that's what gets them back to right. The world. I mean, you know, that it was that was that was sabotage. That was back to playing arenas. That mm-hmm. was. You know, even if you're not going to talk about the record, there's this trend. There is a transformation that happens there that feels kind of like they just, you know, skip right over that. Um, certainly interesting to hear uh, Ad Rock make the case for Hello Nasty as right. the best DC Boys album, <laughs> um, which I did push him, press him on a little bit when I talked to them recently. But, uh, you know, he, he kind of stands by it. Um and, you know, the other thing you notice as it gets further and further on, you might kind of checks out of the book at a certain point. <laughs> I mean, it really, in the beginning, it's a lot of the both of them. And by the time you hit the later years, it's pretty much, you know, the, the ad rock monologue plus guests. Maybe that's uh, when his Beats One radio show kicked in. He's like, I, I got other so. stuff going on right now. I got so I got work to do. You can you can finish this up from here. <laughs> so how were they when they came in? They were good. Um, you know, it's as as I think a lot of the you know the the coverage indicates. Um, it's it's uh, it takes work to get them to stop just screwing around. And surprise, surprise. Always, yeah, and that's always <laughs> been true. But you know, in this case, it 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 did, it does feel a little bit like they're. Not that they're uncomfortable talking about the book, but they kind of feel like, well, we did the book, so we said all that, so why do we have to sit here and talk about it now? Um, but then they, you know, after a little bit, they, they kind of settled in and were able to actually talk instead of, like, riffing on the egg salad sandwich that Mike was eating, <laughs> you know. Um, they definitely seemed in good, you know, in good, in good spirit and, uh, you know, not sometimes you just get them surly and not wanting to be there, and and it, it didn't you know it didn't feel like that. Um, getting them to focus up or you know sort of go beyond the the joke, and and it seems like that's what you know certainly the, most of the stuff I've read. Uh, I don't know if they're I don't know if that's t- you know testing people or if that's just they you know that they need to to settle. They need to find a groove to to start in. Do you think they're uh, enjoying doing press because they are doing mean, a lot of it? They're doing. Oh, I'm surprised they're doing as much as they're doing. I have to say that. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like they enjoyed doing press after a certain point, you know, very much at all. 
Um, but they are, you know, but they're doing this. They're, they're, they're sticking in and they're putting their time. And, um, and again, the, what, what I, they, they seemed, you know, they seemed in a, in a good mood about it when I sat with them, whenever that was a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's never going to be, it's never going to be their favorite thing to do and they're never going to take it, you know, as a real, you know, as an opportunity right. to say a whole lot. <laughs> So this interview is being done before the book tour. So when yeah. when when this interview is posted, the the two events in New York City would have passed. So my question uh, yeah. is, and More I, or I, less, I, I'm not sure if we're going to which exactly which day on on Sirius this uh, this interview will run. It may be after the first of the of the of the book events. So well, 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 I'm talking about this this podcast interview right now. Oh, okay, okay. I'm but your but your interview, interview, yeah, but your interview with the Beastie Boys, you don't know if it's going to air on the Monday or Tuesday yet. Correct. Or possibly uh, Wednesday. I think no. I think we're looking at. I mean, I think we're looking at release day. I think we're looking at Tuesday because I know you're doing stuff for the channel through the day, and right. I think we were sort of saying let's make it all sort of Beastie Boy Day on that release. So I think it's going to air on Tuesday. So regarding the book event, which we haven't attended yet, although right. when people hear this, we <laughs> will have attended, do you have any sense that the Beastie Boys might even think about performing again? I, don't, I have no idea what this is going to be. Um, I, don't, I certainly don't get the sense, you know, in, in talking to them that it's, that's anything that they're, you know, particularly thinking about. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. They're going to go be on a stage for however many right. nights. Mix, mix, mix Master Mike is in the house. Yeah. Well, we know there will be music. There will be stuff that Mike will be doing. Um, but I just I don't get any, you know, again, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. I don't get any sense unless they're really keeping it close to the vest that they've, they're, like, actually would get it together to, like, rehearse and plan something out. Um, it seems like all of this is just kind of being done, you know, off the cuff. So uh, I, I, I'll be, I'd be surprised. Um, but I, I, again, I just, I don't know when we're going to walk in the door, what, what it's going to be. I don't know what this is going to be. What are they going to do for long enough that it feels like, an, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to talk for an hour. It doesn't seem, that doesn't seem likely to me. Right. So what's going to actually be happening in fleshing this out? I, I uh, we'll, we will see, but I've gotten not a, not a clue about that. See, here's my dream. The Beastie Boys do this book event. They feel all the love from the crowd. They hear Mixmaster Mike spinning live. And this puts the idea in their head that they can perform live again one day. So maybe not on the book tour, but maybe next year sometime or the year yeah, after that. Could happen. I, I'm, you know, I still don't know what, what I would want that to sound like. Um, I still don't know. So what if you what do, if you were you God? What if you were God? How would it look? A Beastie Boys live show. I mean, I just don't. Even with like the greatest rotating guests in the world, I just don't know if I want to see them doing those songs. You know, without without Adam there, I just don't. Um, and I think you know it would need a rethinking. I always go back to. It's funny that it stayed with me this much, but when Nirvana did the thing at the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. you know, with all the women singing Kurt's parts, 
you know, what that took away from completely was it's that means it's somebody imitating Kurt. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, that was the big question. Anybody, any guy that you put in there, that's instantly what it's going to become. And they made that go away. And I feel like with this, they would, it would have to have that kind of effect, right? It's, if it's just going to be somebody and do they sound like Yauk doing it? But could, a, could Mike no, and Adam, no could Mike and Adam take MCA's lyrics? I just, do you Divvy want to see do you want to see that? Yes. I mean, yeah, yes. I don't. <laughs> I want to see them. Li- I went to Brooklyn to see Mike D. Rhyme over some Beastie Boy songs okay, while his DJ was spinning. But that's diff- but that's you know that's that's a that's a different thing than making it a Beastie Boys show. Um, do I want to see them do do something? Sure, I want to see them do something. Um, do I want to see them do something that is some version of a Beastie Boys show? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. The only thing I can come up with is do you bring in different, you know, sort of different get this. I, I don't know who does Nas do a part. Does, you know, do, does, can you bring in sort of an all-star team to rotate through that, that but, slot? But the question but, is, can Nas play bass on Heart Attack Man? That is the question. <laughs> <laughs> can he play the stand-up bass? You know? Um, so um, I don't. I mean, I I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about. I, I need to see them get back and do that. I would. I'm more interested in seeing if there's something else. So let's make would, let's make a promise. If they do perform live again, we catch it together. Absolutely. I mean. Okay. All right. Uh, Couple so, more questions uh, before yeah. you go, Alan. And thank you for doing this on yeah, the, uh, the, the the low budget, to... unofficial, official Beastie Boys <laughs> podcast, the Bruhaha. DJ Hurricane mentioned once in the book in passing. What's yeah. up with that? <laughs> you know, I don't <clears throat> There are, again, there's a lot of supporting players. Um, and it's, you know, it's funny which ones come, come forward and which ones don't. Um, I don't know what that is. Because I feel um, like without Hurricane in the old school years, yeah. the Beastie Boys get dropped off the map. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, he no, gave them uh, cred. Much, he gave them Run DMC Dr. cred. Not much Dr. Dre either, you know. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 DJs until until Mike. I don't know if that's you know that it just it doesn't it doesn't feel to the, like they can't remember the pre Mixmaster Mike DJ days. <laughs> I don't know, but it's uh, it's 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 it is conspicuously absent. It's true. Now, did you like any of the little side pieces in the book? You know, I guess both of us would have seen the advance where not everything was there. Like there still was supposed to be a a portfolio from Spike Jones was still not in the advance that I saw, um, which was one that I was sort of curious about. But in terms of the stuff that I read, not really. Um, I mean, I was happy that Kate Schallenbach got her say in the story. Um, You know, some of those, some of the principles, I mean, the, the, the Mixmaster Mike, thing wasn't much right um yeah, he got two pages were, and he was just talking in space just speech. kind of riffing in sci-fi right. you know space language um but i you know I, the others the even i mean much love to colson whitehead and amy poehler and all those guys but i didn't think there was much that contributed much right in there it was more interesting hearing them you know i asked them about that and hearing them talk about it and sort of you know, that they said they kind of wanted to bring a sampling feel to it. 
that they liked the idea of kind of just drawing from, you know, what could they use from all this other stuff and how could they make that part of what it was. And to them, it was sort of that, that idea and that, that aesthetic. They should have caught uh, up Alan Light. Important. That's what they should have done. Yeah, but they don't need other. They don't need other. They don't need journalists <laughs> in to talk about talking about them. And right. you know, like, I understand that. Yeah. Hey, did you make a, a potato chip yet? I have not done any. Uh, I've not gotten into the the recipe uh, <laughs> segment yet. <no. laughs> and Alan, before you leave, what is your favorite Beastie Boys album? Um. I, you know, um, I, I guess the uh, Paul's Boutique is always going to be my answer to that. Okay. Um, you know, uh, it's that that still it continues to blow my mind. Um, but check your head. I have a very soft spot for and and that's the one. Reading the book, that was the one I went back to. I'll certainly say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really, I mean, for me, that was the first time I'd written about them before. I wrote my thesis in college about License to Ill. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first time that I really spent time with them was when Check Your Head came out. I did a feature for Rolling Stone. So, you know, that is always, always going to be, you know, a little closer to my heart um, because, of, because of that. Um, and because of thinking about that they were, you know, again, they were coming off a record that was a flop. Mm-hmm. Um, they were touring clubs. They were not, you know, that, that was sort of the last them before they surged back up into being superstars again. Um, and, you know, I remember we ate at some crappy Chinese restaurant on third Avenue and, you know, just sort of walked around the sidewalks for a while. And like they were scooped on some ridiculous cars that were out in the streets and stuff. And like, that was sort of the last time that it felt like, you know, that it could feel like that with them. Um, so that one, you know, that that's a that that one's close to my heart. But if I got to take one, you know, if I got to take one to my grave, Paul's Boutique would be Paul's Boutique. Would still be the one I take. Yeah, not Hello Nasty. Not Hello Nasty. I mean, Hello that would Nasty, be Ad Rocks. That's the that would be Ad Rocks. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, on a sort of rational level, I get he's like we do the most things on it. It's there's the most stuff on it. Um, <laughs> There's stuff that works really well. There's stuff that's really bad on it, but it's that's kind of the most Beastie Boys record. I, you know, I get what he's kind of. I think he only kind of gets what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, yeah, I can't say that that's that's uh, that that's the one that I that I live with the most. Okay. Well, Alan, thank you for the time. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure, and uh, I will see you soon. And hopefully, we will have uh, seen each other at the uh, at one of these book events before this thing, uh, before you put this out in the world. And then next year, we'll see the Beastie Boys live when they reunite. We'll be, then, we'll, then we'll be backstage at the tour. Yes, sounds All good. Right. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> All right, Jim. There you go. And once again, I, I thanked him on the phone, but I want to thank him now. Uh, I want to thank Alan Light for taking the time to do that on the brouhaha. The first time he has appeared on the brouhaha. And we did exchange emails after the event, and it sounds like both of us enjoyed ourselves. Alan went the first night to Town Hall. I went the second night at King's Theater, deep, deep in the heart of Brooklyn. When I looked at the map and I started taking my finger and dragging it along the subway line, I thought, ooh, is it going to be a, a late night? And I told Alan that one of my favorite elements of the night were the video transitions and he said that he agreed with me because it's one thing 
reading about the Beastie Boys on Soul Train, but it's another thing to actually see the Beastie Boys on Soul Train. So it's not, And everyone I talk to, and I probably talked to five or six people, everyone seemed to enjoy themselves. And I've talked to some people, and they are under the belief that if the Beastie Boys are having fun doing this, and if it goes well, they could possibly do some more dates. Now, I, I haven't talked to anybody from the Beastie Boys camp, but I've talked to some book people. So, what? And I, and like, I don't know the Beastie Boys schedule, but it makes sense if they're having fun, if tickets are selling out and they're, they're selling merch and they're selling books, then why wouldn't they do some dates? Do a couple in Chicago. Do one in Seattle. It would sell out in a second. And the event is bundled with a Beastie Boys book. So if they do want to sell more books, all they got to do is go to a 2,000-seat a theater, sell out tickets, and you sell 2,000 books. All right, so speaking of the book, I will give you my official review when we come back on the brouhaha. And once again, if you're still listening to this podcast and you haven't read the book yet and you don't want to be spoiled, please turn it off. And finish the podcast in a few weeks. Thank you. Let's take a break. I want to take this minute to introduce you to my people. All right. We are back on the Brouhaha Beastie Boys book special. And I can finally talk about the book. So my initial review was broad strokes with a narrow brush. Because the book is dense, right? But there, there's more that I want to know. But with that narrow brush, they tell a lot. So this isn't in any order. So what I did, I read the book, and I wrote down the moments that stuck out to me. And once again, this book is like two inches thick. That doesn't sound like a lot, but right now, I'm actually going to pull out a ruler. I'm going to see how officially how big this book is. A little, little less than two inches. You've seen it. It's a mamma jamma. And if you, if you don't want to haul that thing on the bus or subway then I suggest getting the audiobook with a slew of guest readers on it. Everyone from Bette Midler to Chuck D. All right, so once again, this is not in any order. These are the stories that stuck out to me in Beastie Boys' book. The Dave Parsons story. How amazing is that? And when he gets his gender transformation surgery and it's paid for, by Adam Yalk, I got goosebumps reading that. Because you, you, I've met Adam, and you hear stories about Adam, but then you read more stories about Adam that reconfirm what an awesome guy he was. This is just another story. He's one of a kind. He's a wild card. 
the Dave Parsons story. And if it wasn't for Dave Parsons, we might not have the Beastie Boys. Remember, the Beastie Boys play Adam Yauch's 17th birthday party. Dave Parsons, who has Rat Cage Records, says we should do a record together. After their first sloppy gig, and they said, well, of course, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I love that years later, MCA paid it back to Dave Parsons. Hello Nasty, Ad-Rock's favorite album. Who knew? And even though Hello Nasty is not my favorite Beastie Boys album, I love it, don't get me wrong, but I really enjoy when I get into conversations with Beastie Boys fans and they tell me that that's their favorite Beastie Boys album. And I I look in their eyes and I say, I completely understand why. Although to me, it it runs a little long. But I love that Ad-Rock says, we we found a system. We were grown-ups. We could work on it at a, a relaxed pace. You know, I guess guys would go back to their own homes and play around with elements. And it seems like they had the system worked out. Hello Nasty, Ad-Rock's favorite album. Within Beastie Boys' book. We also find out that one of Ad-Rock's least favorite Beastie Boys songs, he doesn't explain why, is what comes around. One of his favorite Beastie Boys songs, Mark on the Bus. The Ring Story, as alluded to uh, when I was talking about the Beastie Boys live book event. I mean, you could make a short film about The Ring Story. I thought, yes, this is the type of stuff I want. Because look at me. I'm doing a Beastie Boys podcast. I probably know more about the Beastie Boys than I need to. So a lot of the book was stuff that I already knew. Not the ring story. Never heard that one before. So these types of stories is what makes the book sing for me. Uh, A fascinating part of the book, in my eyes, was when Ad-Rock was talking about making To the Five Burrows. MCA, we we find out in the book, although we kind of knew it all along, MCA was the leader of the band. He would call the shots. He said, listen, I went to the five boroughs to be all hip-hop. 9-11 happened. Ad-Rock was like, well, you know, would punk work on this? Like, shouldn't we show some emotion? But MCA wanted it to be all hip-hop. They make too many rappers. Remember, that that single was floating out in the ether for a while. It was going to be the lead single off of Hot Sauce Committee Part 1, but then MCA got cancer. So the album release was pushed back. MCA goes into the studio unbeknownst to Mike D and Ad-Rock and reworks the whole track. Doesn't even communicate it with them. And I love that Ad-Rock says, who does that? But in the end, he admits, listen, MCA was always right. To me, this is the kind of stuff that I'm fascinated by. I wish there were more stories like this. Tell me about the, you know, the inner workings of the band. Because remember, MCA wanted Check Your Head originally to be all instrumental. Who outvoted him on that? You know, who made MCA come to his senses? Or did MCA call the Audible, say, you know what? We need to put rhymes on these songs now. Um, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. 
Who knew that it was created from fake samples? So the Beastie Boys are in Oscilloscope Laboratory, painstakingly putting together these samples that sound like they come from another song. And then they credit these fake samples in the liner notes of Hot Sauce Committee Part 2, but nobody catches on to the joke. Now the thing was, when the Beastie Boys released Hot Sauce Committee Part 2 in 2011, we were kind of getting away from the hard copy album. It was all digital then to that point. And I remember I did read the liner notes to Hot Sauce Committee Part 2, and I thought, I thought the Beastie Boys made all this music themselves. Like they were just jamming out and they would sample stuff from their jammos. I didn't know they were actually sampling this stuff, but I never went the extra mile to figure out that these bands that they reference in the liner notes weren't real or the songs weren't real either. So yes, it went over my head too. And I forget what the the chapter was called, like nobody noticed. Now, if you read the portion about Hot Sauce Committee Part 2, the Beastie Boys cheekily talk about Hot Sauce Committee Part 1. And if you read between the lines like I do, it doesn't exist. Maybe that's just me. Love the story, and this is alluded to in the book event, of the Beastie Boys on tour with Run DMC. They're in Miami, and when Walk This Way becomes a hit, Aerosmith flies down to Miami, and Joe Perry and Steven Tyler are going to play it live with the band. And then MCA asked, well, can I play bass on the song? Because Joe's playing guitar, Steven's singing, could I play some bass? And they said, yeah. Now, they didn't do a sound check, so Steven Tyler and Joe Perry had no idea who this guy was on stage, and apparently all the Beastie Boys were drunk, so you've got drunk Adam Yauch out on stage trying to do that classic back-to-back rock pose with Joe Perry, and during the Beastie Boys book event, Ad-Rock said that it looked like he was chasing him the whole song, and Joe Perry's like, what the heck are you doing? So... Adam Yauch played bass with Aerosmith and Run DMC on Walk This Way. How cool is that? There's a chapter. Now remember, as if you read the book, you know that the, the chapters aren't long. There's a chapter that shouts out Madonna. Now even though the Beastie Boys were acting like brats on stage, they said they learned a lot about the business while being on this tour. They learned about musicianship and how to put on a big show. And let me let me read part of the book, because I, I thought this was funny. I guess that crying children and angry parents weren't what management had in mind. So Freddie DeMann wanted us kicked off the tour, but Madonna wanted us to stay. I'm not sure why, but she did, and we stayed. Maybe she felt bad for us. Maybe she thought it was a good thing to have other NYCers out there on the road. Or really, and probably, she knew that the audience hated us so much that by the time she hit the stage, it would be fucking glorious, like an ice cream sundae after the dentist. <laughs> and that says it all, because when Madonna hit the stage, it was like, oh, thank God, we don't have to listen to those idiots anymore. Uh, MCA and Mike D rat hunting in their Chinatown apartment. Nice little story. Tadlock. The, uh, the bus driver of Elvis, he gets a shout-out, and we find out 
what Tadlock's glasses are all about because at the end of Elvis's tour, and Tadlock told this story to the Beastie Boys in tears, by the way. Elvis gives everybody golden glasses except Tadlock. And as he lowers his head, everyone in Elvis's posse starts laughing. And they say, ah, oh, Tadlock, we wouldn't forget about you, Tadlock. And they give Tadlock his glasses. How about the story when the Beastie Boys first go over to London? They have a friend that takes them over to Mick Jones' apartment. Yauk says, hey, can you play Clash City Rockers? Mick Jones says, I don't even know if I remember how to play that. And then MCA reteaches Mick Jones how to play Clash City Rockers. So while they're at Mick Jones' apartment, Joe Strummer shows up, Johnny Rotten shows up, and Paul Simonon. So they're hanging out in London with the Clash and Johnny Rotten, and apparently they all go out to a movie. Reanimator. That's a great story in the book. Hold It Now, Hit It holds a special place in the Beastie Boys' hearts because that was their turning point. That's when they figured out that they could take references and samples and their humor and be themselves on a song for the very first time. The Dolly Parton Birthday Bash, where all the Beastie Boys decide that they're going to dress up MCA and Ad-Rock get cold feet. Mike D doesn't get the memo. He shows up at Dolly Parton's birthday party in uh, the Grasshoff's 70s gear. Runs into Bob Dylan and they have that, that awkward conversation. How many are you good for? And that means how many tickets could you sell because Bob Dylan wanted the Beastie Boys to play at a pro-smoking benefit concert. One of my favorite pictures in the book... And it's not like a, a studio picture or a you know a well-framed Glenn Friedman picture. It's the Beastie Boys in a hotel room in socks. And to me, the reason why I like it so much, it reminds me of me and my friends hanging out in the early 90s trying to be the Beastie Boys. And I like that Mike D is just wearing white tube socks because that's what we rocked in the suburbs back in the early 90s. Uh, Beastie Boys talk about going out on Lollapalooza. It's just a sentence, but I, I think it was Ad-Rock who says, yes, we realized that Nirvana was important. The story about the A&R guy who was clueless on the Beastie Boys, who insisted that Jimmy James be the first single off Check Your Head, and then the Beastie Boys play him So What You Want, and he says, yeah, this should be the single too, and then they realize that he didn't even listen to Check Your Head. So Capitol Records, man, kind of a mess, right, in the late 80s and early 90s? Slept on Paul's Boutique, and then the Beastie Boys make Check Your Head, and their A&R guy didn't even listen to the album. Come on now. Uh, how about the, uh, the chapter, Kiss the Monkey on the Nose? The Beastie Boys show up at a photo shoot. There's racks and racks of clothes, and they said, no, that's, that's okay. You know, we're we're going to wear what we're wearing right now. But they did make a concession to wear the monkey mask. And we, we can hate on things all we want. But that's a pretty sweet picture. And we, we've seen that floating around the internet for years and years and years where Ad-Rock's in the monkey mask and then he's flanked by Mike D and MCA who are caught in midair. But then the photo shoot ends when the photographer who gets too into it says, 
kiss the monkey on the nose. And as soon as he said that, the Beastie Boys were like, all right, we're done. And in Beastie Boy speak, that is when something gets to be too much. That is when you jump the shark. That is when you kiss the monkey on the nose. And then one more note here I have written down about the massive Beastie Boys book. Let's face it, it is massive. Who knew that Sabotage was indirectly inspired by Mario C.? You guys know, you you all know the Chris Rock story where the Beastie Boys are jamming on it. Uh, There's an engineer named Chris who said, oh, that's great, that's great. The Beastie Boys like, all right, well, maybe we should keep it around. Uh, They tried to put lyrics on it, it never worked. Ad-Rock finally came up with the perfect formula. And in the book, uh, when speaking about the lyrics, he writes, eventually we brought the music back to G-Sun, and that's where we finished the songs that were going to be on our next record, Ill Communication. But there was one track left, Chris Rock. It had to be dealt with. I decided that it would be funny to write a song about how Mario was always holding us down, how he was trying to mess it all up, sabotaging our great works of art. So one night, I went to Mario's house, and he recorded me screaming words into a microphone over that track, all about some mysterious thorn in my side, the ubiquitous biters and the haters. Because earlier in the chapter, Ad-Rock says how sometimes Mario C. would get really upset when the Beastie Boys weren't inspired. And there was, I guess, one point where he took a power strip and he threw it out the window and he said, God bless America! Because when I've encountered Mario C., he's always been very chill. I never knew he had a dark side. Now, because I am a Beastie mega fan, there are some questions and wants and desires that I didn't get from Beastie Boy's book. So I don't want to say that these are the things that I don't like about the book, but these these were the head scratchers for me. And I'm allowed to scratch my head because I am an objective Beastie Boy's fan. There were There were some rumblings about this online, but I thought it the first time I read the book four months ago, DJ Hurricane, he's mentioned once in passing. I think he's more important than that. Now, you don't have to mention everyone in your lineage. You you don't have to mention every producer and photographer. But DJ Hurricane was a member of the band, and he gave the Beastie Boys cred back when they were coming up in the rap game. Remember, Run DMC back in the day were inspired by Hurricane. So were it not for Hurricane, I don't know if the Beastie Boys get that hip-hop cred back in the day. He at least deserves a page. At least more than a passing mention. I would like to ask the Beastie Boys, what about Hurricane? Did you, did you forget about Hurricane? I don't think there's, there's, there's not beef between the Beastie Boys and Hurricane, but I don't know. And in all fairness... Let me tell you a quick personal story. My college band, a couple years ago, we played our 20th anniversary gig. And at the last song, I was shouting out everybody in the room. I said, this person, you know, you did this for us. And that person, we would have never done it if you weren't there. I shout out the whole room. I play the song. And at the end of the song, I realized something. There was one person I forgot to shout out. One person who was standing right in front of me. I forgot to shout out my wife. It was so obvious, but I forgot. So I'm wondering if that happened here. But writing a book, one that takes many years, 
is different than giving a shout-out late in a concert. I'm not making excuses for myself. I'm just saying. I'm just wondering. So I am a fan of the music video. It's because of a music video that got me into the Beastie Boys. I worked in the world of music videos for years and years and years. So the Beastie Boys music video catalog, I hold near and dear to my heart. And I love Amy Poehler. I've met her before. She is a super sweet and nice human being. But if you read her recap of music videos for the Beastie Boys, it looks like she was rushing just to get it done. And then when she talked about my favorite music video of all time, so what you want, all she writes is smoke weed, smoke weed, smoke weed, smoke weed, smoke weed. No! No, Amy Poehler! No! And speaking of the, the little the features in the book, I, I could do without them. You know, graphic novel, you know, whatever. The cookbook, the one potato chip, yeah. I, I get you know I don't know it does it does break up the book they're like little commercials within the book but uh, there were no side pieces that I was wowed by Andre Leon Talley I think he liked one or two of the Beastie Boys looks I, I think the Beastie Boys from ninety two on never wore an uncool thing that's just me though what do I know about fashion uh, because I jumped on board. In 1992, I wish that there were more stories and material on Check Your Head, Ill Communication, Hello Nasty, The Mix-Up, To the Five Burrows, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. I wish that the Beastie Boys wrote more about Adam Yauch in his final days. I understand why they didn't. That's really tough to talk about. I'm curious about that last recording session they had in November of 2011. Once again, I'm a beastie completist, so that makes sense on my end. But maybe if you're just a a big fan, you don't need to know everything. So unlike Hurricane, Mixmaster Mike does get two pages to state his case. And uh, he writes in Space Speak, the Draco Report. And I thought... This isn't the time to be silly. Like, tell me about leaving all those messages on Adam Yock's phone machine. What's it like working with the Beastie Boys? Did you ever get in trouble for dropping an instrumental mid-song that screwed up the Beastie Boys? These are the things that I want to know about. So, yeah, it's, you know, if if you're blogging in Space Speak, that's fine. But we're talking a book that's going to, to last forever. Don't give me the Draco Report. Tell me some real stuff. So I, I think Mixmaster Mike did it wrong, but I think Kate Schellenbach did it right. Her few pages were great. And I love the feminist perspective of the Beastie Boys. That, that, that might be my favorite sidebar of the whole book. And I, I guess that will do it for my review of the Beastie Boys book. But you know... There's going to be more podcasts, and I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about the book more, but those are my initial thoughts. We can now discuss the book in a true conversation. So please, let me know what you liked about the book or didn't like, and we can get into debates, or we can just gush about certain chapters. 
The email, beastiepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't email anymore, you can find me on social media at Jim Shear. Like I said, this feels good. The book feels like an album release, and that's a good thing. Because back in the day, I always got giddy when the Beastie Boys played live or put out an album. And when Yauk passed away in 2012, I thought that was it. I thought, well, that's the end of that part of my life. So this, it re-energizes me. And if the Beastie Boys could get to the point where they did something live, it fills a void that's been missing for a long time. And to me, if it's done right, I think it celebrates the life and creativity of Adam Yauch. But we shall see. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Brew Haha. If you're going to any of the book events, savor it, take it in, and have fun. My name is Jim Shear, and I will see yins later. On the one, two, three, though. Are you ready? One, two, one, two, three. Ah! Get ready to bring the brew, ha ha. Get the brew, ha ha. Get the brew, ha ha. Get the brew, ha ha.